Just when we hope for some reprieve, a chilling reminder sweeps through our communities. Another four lives were brutally taken this week alone. This is a stark testament to the relentless wave of violence that continues to grip our nation, leaving behind a trail of grief, unanswered questions, and a deep yearning for justice. Tonight, we draw from the raw and real experiences of those families torn apart by tragedy, carrying the weight of loss, but finding the strength to demand change. In our quest for answers, we turn to the corridors of power. The nation is eager to hear and understand what plans are in place to combat this scourge in crime. How does the government intend to reclaim the safety of our streets, to restore the sense of security every Bahamian deserves. The stakes have never been higher. As a community, we stand at a crossroads confronted with the choice between succumbing to fear or rallying together to forge a path forward, healing and justice for all. This is On The Record. I'm your host, Jerome Sawyer. Stay tuned as we get started on the other side of this break. This is on the record. Our nation is known for its close-knit communities. It's facing a surge in crime like never before. There was a time when crime, though present, followed an unspoken code. The elderly, women, children, some lines just weren't crossed. Sundays were sacred, a day of peace and reverence. Yet, the recent spate of violence shatters these old traditions leaving us to grapple with a new and heart-wrenching reality. Families across our country are confronting a level of grief and loss that was once unimaginable. We dig into the personal stories behind the statistics, starting with a particularly poignant account. A father, engulfed in sorrow, sharing with our own Italia Hall the devastating loss of his son, a tragedy that nearly claimed his granddaughter as well. The son wasn't looking for trouble, just trying to take his daughter to church that Sunday morning. Let's take a look. I said, oh, Lord, no. I said, no, Lord. No, not my son. No, Lord. No, 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 no. I said, Michael. They killed Michael. I said, what? Oh, Lord. They killed Michael. That's the cry of Winston Woodside, a grieving father grappling with the devastating loss of his son, Michael Woodside. The father of six was gunned down early Sunday morning. The 35-year-old, who was known by those close to him as Mikey, was shot and killed by two men driving a small silver car early Sunday morning, just as he was leaving home to carry his 16-year-old daughter to church. His grief-stricken father recalls the dreadful events of that morning. I was laying down in the same chair right now. I was laying down and I heard the shots. 
and it, it, gunshots in your area is a normal thing. When there's no gunshot, there's no angry sin. Look what you see. And I go on with you. And I look. I don't know, I don't know what's happening until the neighbors start hollering. According to his father, Michael worked on a boat tour excursion and was a hardworking man who didn't bother anyone. Not naive to the fact that his son might have gotten himself into trouble, Woodside says his son shouldn't have died the way he did. People will say, oh, wait, you're talking, his son is just a... But all the neighbors around here could tell you, my son don't keep company. My son don't keep company, you always waking. I shake my head, and I, I say, yeah, boy, you take after me. But guess what? He's not perfect. Nobody's perfect. Also caught in the crossfire was his 16-year-old granddaughter. She was grazed by a bullet, but has since been released from hospital and is being looked after by her mother. A terry-eyed Woodside had this message for his son's killers. My son, you know, I can't forgive you, but I ain't gonna lie to you. But I hope... That do change your lifestyle. I hope if you get paid for killing my son, that you, you will spend that money, but it'll hurt you, it'll burn you right up. That you'll have sleepless night. Like me. Heartbreaking indeed. The pain of losing a loved one to such senseless violence is a wound that never really truly heals. Continuing our exploration into the human cost of this surge in crime, we now hear from an uncle. He sits down with our Bertany McDermott to express his profound disappointment and sorrow after the loss of his nephew, a teenage nephew. A young life cut tragically short. Here's a look. Monday night's double homicide, killing 16-year-old Andrew Newry Jr. and according to his uncle Wentworth Newry, all he heard was the gunshots while he was taking a shower. He says his nephew was brought into the kitchen where he died. That ain't good at all. That ain't good at all. I heard people talk about it, you know, when things happen. People talk about it, but you never witness it until when it happened to you. Like people say, when it, when it, when it hit home, that's what it was. Police alerted us to the double shooting minutes before 7 p.m. on Monday. Inspector Cesarine White shared these details on the scene. When the officers responded, they observed two males who had sustained injuries. EMS was summoned to the scene. Uh, they determined that both males had no signs of life. Now, Neary, along with his friend, was inside here when they were approached by that gunman, his uncle telling us while he had his challenges, he was always mannerly. But he wasn't a troublesome fellow. He wasn't bad at all. Very mannerly. He had a little challenge. But, um, he, he, you know, he would clean the house, wash the windows, do all the blinds. He would do all that. Police were unable to give the approximate ages of the victim and could not say if any of the men were known to police. His uncle says just days before his life was tragically cut short, he made this commitment. And he tell his daddy, he said, Daddy, um, at the end of this month, I'm going to change my life. You're going to see a difference in me. The grieving uncle recounts the last conversation the teen had with his father shortly before he lost his life. He asked his father, he said, Daddy, um, what are we going to eat today? So his daddy told him, say, um, I have some fish season up. 
And then his daddy say he go into the shop to go buy some other stuff to cook with the fish. And time is time as he come back, he met his son lying down on the floor. Reporting for our news, I'm Bertheny McDermott. These stories remind us of the urgent need for solutions, for healing, and for a return to peace. As we continue tonight's discussion, let's keep in mind the faces and the voices of those we've just heard from and consider what can be done to prevent more families from enduring such unbearable loss. On the other side of this break, we speak to someone who is far too familiar with the grief families experience. Stay with us. You're watching On The Record. As we continue in our in-depth exploration, our first guest, Canty Gibson, founded Families of All Murder Victims. This organization stands as a pillar of support for those who have suffered the most personal and devastating impact of crime. Through her own experience of loss, Candy transformed her grief into action, creating foam to offer the kind of support and understanding she found lacking during her own darkest hours. Candy works tirelessly, providing a compassionate shoulder and much-needed resources to grieving families, helping them to navigate the complex emotional challenges that follow the loss of a loved one to violence. Welcome to On the Record, Candy Gibson. Candy, and I go way back, yes. <laughs> she reminded me from my days at BTC when you founded Foam. Yes. Um, welcome to On the Record, but very briefly, tell us what was it that really drove you to leave a full-time job and start this organization of foam? First of all, Jerome, it's a pleasure to be here. And yes, we do go way back. What really drove me is after the murder of my two brothers, eight months apart, but it's the children. People don't understand the children are the real victims. They are the invisible, silent victims, and they shouldn't be deprived because their mother or father was tragically taken away. And so when we would have went to uh, national insurance, my two brothers, um, they worked, but they didn't have sufficient contribution. And like many other young men and young women in this country, they would work. They don't have sufficient contribution at NIB, or they don't have none at all, which means their children doesn't qualify for survivor's benefit. So their children doesn't get anything from NIB in that capacity. And so with that being said, the children still have to eat. They still need warm clothing. They still need medication. They still have to go to school. We can't put a blame on the government, you know. But if organizations like FOAM step in, we could better help the families. What are the most challenging aspects of providing support to these people who are the victims of crime? Okay. And when I say victims who have lost loved ones to crime. The challenging aspect, I would say, is, you know, um, persons, um, when they're grieving, they don't want to go out. You might have, uh, when you go to uh, CDU, they would give you a list of organizations you could utilize for counseling or whatever. When you're grieving, you don't want to come outside. And so to see families actually just laid off and bare, just in the house, don't want to do anything, or just have to force themselves to go out and reach out for help, I think that's challenging. And also the children, because these children are now have to face a world without a daddy or without a mommy. And then some of the kids, um, they never know who their father were because their father got killed while their mommy was pregnant. And so that within itself, 
is challenging for a child. You relate to me the story of a dying, a dying teenager and what he said to his mother that still sticks with you today. Yes, and that was like some seven years ago. He was 16 and his girlfriend was 14. And he told his mom, take care of my baby here. And even when I still think about that, that still is like bring tears to my eyes that, hey, he was only 16, but he know he left his girlfriend pregnant and he wanted his mommy to take care of his baby for him. And my question always is, Jerome, when these fathers get killed, who is going to take these kids further than their father did? And that's my next question. What would happen to that baby who could now be seven or eight years old, mm -hmm. left to a teen mother and without a father, not specifically, but what is the fate of children, you know, in that, in that situation? Sadly, you know, um, like people say, um, Jerome, um, it starts from the home. Yeah, it starts from the home, you know. But Jerome, when that child comes to the environment of home and goes other places, he still transitions back to home on that same environment. So which thing becomes of him? Without the proper counseling, strong-minded family and friends, parents, what else could come of that? And that's, I, I am tired, Jerome, of saying father, first grandfather, father, and then child murdered or grandfather, father, and then child in prison. It's sad, I know, and people say, it goes back to the Bible, generational curse is real. These families operate in generational curse, and that's why I would ask the church to, not saying that they're doing a good job, they're doing an excellent job, but step in. When you come and pray, let's break those generational curses. So, in, in, the, in the shows that we have done in the past week, weeks here, we have spoken to organizations that are trying, whether it's through funding, um, just trying to break the cycle in terms of helping with, with careers, jobs, whatever they're doing. But when you get into those spaces now and you start to talk to those families, do you, do you see firsthand the cycle that has brought this criminal activity and wrought this criminal activity upon the family and the community? You see the cycle? Yes, I do, and Jerome, you know, it's so sad. Be quick to holler rehabilitation. But how do you rehabilitate somebody when you didn't try help before it even got to you to even try to rehabilitate the person? Mm -hmm. Like I see with the coconut water boys, them during the previous administration when we were locked down, the way that administration did those coconut water boys, them, I, that's something I can never forget. Because, okay, they were wrong for going on the street selling their coconut water or business license. But you haul them before the court. Someone went to jail. And thank God I lied because um, at that time with the prime minister, as he say, A, form said B. When it came to the coconut water boys, we advocated for those records to be expunged. You know, we advocated for those records to be not void on their, on their police record and so forth. And um, they were locked up and then we were able to go ahead and secure um, monies to pay their fines before the court. Right. And then we partnership with um, the Minister of National Security, Mr. Wayne Monroe, who was, who was head of something called the Justice League. So every time the coconut water boys get locked up, call candy, call candy, call candy. So they would then call me, I would then reach out to him, and then he would then send an office, uh, attorney down to court to represent them. So how do we, someone trying to make an honest living, even though what they're doing is wrong because they don't have a license, why we can't just work with them? Hey, young man, do you have a license to be here? Did you get permission to be here? Okay, we ain't gonna just shut you down. We ain't gonna do this. We can help you get this stuff. Send someone to get the license. You understand me? Like, we have to learn so to help. Are those, is that continuing? I, I, I get the point, um, and they were wrong, yes. but they're back out there selling. Yes. Others are doing. Are we doing things um, as, as organizations 
to ensure that the young people who are out there who are trying at least are abiding by the law. Is anyone helping them, taking them by the hand? Because if you don't know, you don't know. You set up a sell. Listen, I got mangoes to sell. I got peppers to sell. I can sell, set up and sell them. But is any organization, any group saying, hey, you know, in order to be here, you need to do these things. And you can't charge them $500 for business license. I know during COVID, I had uh, Miss Anastasia, um, Miss Anastasia, I can't remember my last name, another organization, SNL, another organization. They partnered with me during the COVID-19. They were helping those coconut water boys get their license free of charge. Then we also had, um, I can't remember his name, but he's from the FM Torchbearers. He was out there with us, and he even paid for the guys um, to get along with him. And Mr. John knows they paid for the guys to get their food harness permit. So they were able to, they think it's $10. So during that time, we were out there, we were really fighting for them. We had persons on board, but now it's like. You said something during that time. So, yes. So now time, what? Now what is correct, you know, and do bear in mind, former families of all murder victims, but because of the social in our country, Formers are now octopus with many different arms. If there's an issue, Candy Gibson. If there's this, Candy, job, Candy Gibson. Um, abuse, Candy Gibson. Housing, Candy Gibson. Arrest, so, Candy Gibson. Take, you say that, but take our audience through the two. Just as, just as you were getting ready for this show, there were two things that came to you on your phone, two issues that you have to leave here now and go to try to. and go. So I, I just want you to share, without going into too much details or too many details, just two instances that you have to deal with today alone. Yes, there was a, um, I got a call, domestic violence um, victim, boyfriend beat her severely this morning. Um, she's on her way to work, the two kids in the car. I got a call, you know, she has nowhere to go. Got to deal with that. Then I have another guy, um, someone reached out to me, you can reference him. He's ready to take his life because he was staying at a shelter. He has no ID and don't have a job. And, and Jerome, I'm piggybacking on this. Actually, remember when I said this? The other day I posted on my Facebook page, on, on my WhatsApp, 50 young men needed to work with um, skilled laborers. Jerome, up to the that was like two weeks ago. We got the 50 persons. Up to this day, my phone is still ringing and people messaging me um, about the job. So young men want to work. I even have a picture on Facebook and all. They, I'm standing up. I, I went out to the site 6 o'clock one morning to meet them. I'm taking them. They, they send me and I posted the, the post on my page like 11 o'clock that night. Jerome, I was up until 2 o'clock that morning taking names taking names, NIB number, password number. I went there to meet the guys at 6 o'clock that morning. Drew, I was marking the name off the list, marking the names off the list. There are so and many. you took it upon yourself to do this? Yes. You? Yeah, because I, I, I'm not getting paid to do it, but because I see the need, and I'm not going to lie, Jerome, I love to see young men out there working and hustling, rather robbing and killing. So uh, you said it right there. It just goes, and again, it keeps coming back to, we have a underclass of citizens who are turning to a life of crime because they cannot take care of themselves. And that's the truth. And people misplace, man. You know, more open eyes, sir. Right now, that exercise is completed. What I will do for you is I will keep your name, your contact, and your information. So when the exercise do open again, or there's something else become available, I will then refer you to that job. And so up to this morning, I'm still getting calls and messages where people interested in, this, in the job and only ask 50 persons. And so we must understand, too, like persons looking for a job. They want, and I, and I made sure stimulated. If you're affiliated with a gang, no need to apply. Hmm. You understand me? And the amount of people, Jerome, I'm telling you, Jerome, that reach out to me I, is unbelievable. I like what you said. If you are affiliated with a gang, yeah, don't need to apply. Because I ain't trying to get caught up in no straight bullets. I could. Like, I cool, you know, and I didn't too. I went out there, I took it upon myself, went out at 6 o'clock that morning to make sure they showed up. And Jerome, you see me ticking off, what's your name? Ticking off, ticking off the list. And I was like, so impressed, Jerome. I'm talking to Jerome. I still had to pay someone $100 to take them from where they was 
out of the site for them to get employment. So you had to take pay for them to get to the job yes, out I, of pocket. You understand me, Jerome, but I don't have no problem with that, Jerome. The mere fact that we have young men want to work, that's good because at the end of the day, they could be, they could be picking up a gun. They could be doing a crime, but they want to work, and that's good to take care of that family. That's good. So you started out this organization trying to help the families um, of murder victims, but you really have become a social services entity in many ways. Yes, yes. When you see, you know, you, you, you pick up the newspaper, you turn on the, on the television, or you look on Facebook, and you see all these murders, you see all these crimes, you see this, this, this growing trend. I mean, we're in double digits, you know, about it, just the third month of the year, you see that. What does that indicate to you? What does that say to you when you see what's happening, particularly on the murders and violence, violent crime side? Jerome, that states to me that's another set of family broken. That's a community now that's broken. That's children now, mother, fatherless women. We just had two women killed um, like in last month or month before last. Um, that's a lot. You know, people understand. We don't take mental issues serious, but mental issue is serious because I have a young man, um, whenever you see a certain color that his brother wore, he flips out. Really? I had a, a young man. Yeah, a color. I had a young man, his twin brother got killed, and he got sandalins. So people don't understand. I have, I have mothers who've actually given the ghost and just had no reason to fight no more. They're now dead. They develop cancer, diabetes. Hard problem. I have mothers now who want hard pills. So people don't understand what, fa what families go through. Like I tell persons often, the real victim isn't that one on the ground. No, the real victim is us. The real victim is the children who are left behind now have to navigate their journey of grief through life without hey, My daddy was supposed to take me to my first PDA meeting. Oh, my daddy was supposed to buy me my motorbike. Oh, my daddy was supposed to buy it. Oh, my mommy was supposed to do this with me. They now don't have them. I have persons who... Um, Oh, father killed their mother. Oh, mother killed their father. And so the daddy's in Fox Hill, or the mother's in Fox Hill. The children are out here. And so it's a whole different type murder situation I'm faced with, you know. And so, Jerome, I want to say this. Being a murder victim, family is not easy. And especially nowadays, when you see, like, the accused families don't have the remorse. You know, it's like you could go in the shop, you don't even know the queue was found. The queue was got bail. They riding past you. They throwing jazz. They, you know, and so it's... it's and it's, that's happening. And it's, and it's happening. You know, and so, Jerome, it's, it's hard being a... It's not easy. It is not easy, you know. Um, I had my share too where I was even threatened by the guy who would have killed my brother. And I was threatened in court. And say what? I was threatened in court to the guys. I say, mother second, why he killed my brother? They was friends. Oh, you won't be next, eh? Look, you won't be the next murder victim. And this happened in court. No 12. And I was like, and he went the case and everything. And so it's just, Jerome, it's, just, it's not easy, you know. And, and so that's why I understand, too, when persons lost a loved one, how they stay away from the camera, they stay in the, the, the little hole, because it's just a lot, Jerome. It's a lot. Being a murder victim is not a lot. He asked if you want to be next. Yeah, if I want to be next. In, in an open court with the magistrate, with the there's attorney, with other attorneys, the other, it's open court, other persons there, too. And he won the case, you know. And so it's just... Jerome, it's, it's, it's not easy being a murder victim, and it's not, being a, it's not easy being an accused victim, too, because I myself was arrested for something I had no knowledge of. And I want to say this, too. Um, like, I was watching the newest couple, I think a year or two ago, when a senior officer said, um, the streets take their cue from the police. So once the police lock you up and your name is associated with someone murder, 
you now becomes a potential target. What? Yes, families and friends, they just looking for someone to blame, sorry, because they're hurting. And because they're hurting, and if your name get caught up, you could be the next victim. And it's sad, and that's where retaliation comes from. Families are grieving. Their only friends are grieving. Their only one. Father can say, why the police lock him up? Then why they lock up? Then if, if she had not do it, that's all they can say about it. And they would pinch and pinch and pinch and put together a story. You yourself be wondering, I might wonder, oh, that must be true way. That, that must have really gone for true. You just, and now you doubting yourself. And so that's why I know I, my, my main, my main like, position is like, I just want the police officer to do diligence when they arrest someone or hold them before the court. Or when they, even if you just spend time in the cell, because your name connects with a murder, that tends to bring on um, issues between your family safety and yourself safety. You know, so how people are not, not into that room. People are now getting killed for who just they connect or affiliate to. Yeah, I know that for sure. You understand yeah. me, Jerome? I could, and, and that's why I even tell the young man today, be careful who you associate yourself with, because you're now say guilty. Careful of the company you keep. Yes, you're now guilty by affiliation or guilty by relation. You understand me? And so, and I even tell young women because I was in that place myself too. Whereas you even got to be careful who you date now. Big time. You understand me? Because who you date could put your life in jeopardy or the jeopardy of your children. You understand me? And so, show me just a lot. What do we need to do to begin to stop? slow down and even reverse the cycle that we find ourselves in. I know it's a lot, as you, as you have said, but if you could start to put your finger on a couple of key things that we can do as a community to begin to, to stop the cycle and to reverse what's happening. First of all, Jerome, I would want to say this, Jerome. Um, first of all, what we need to do is when we campaign, stop campaigning on, we have the answer for crime. Boom. Because no party has the answer for crime. Boom. Okay? That's I'm first, glad you said yeah, it. Yeah, that's the first thing we need to know. Second thing we need to do, Jerome, um, we need to now go into the environments, okay? Because we can say we have this club, boys club, girls club, this intervention program. That sounds good, eh? Because they are the environment. But when they go back in the environment, they're going back into the same environment they came from. So that then possess a challenge. So we need to not just carry them, carry them into an environment, taking away from the problem. But we ourselves, as being the mediators or the, the instructors, we have to now go into the homes to see what they're working with. Because when you check the backgrounds of what happened to these young men or what has happened, you'll see like, oh man, that person didn't stand a fighting chance. You know, and I think like, before we do anything, there has to be parental classes. All as I am, I still need parental classes. <laughs> you understand me? Because I didn't think we need parental classes. We don't have it all. He who thinks he knows all, knows nothing. You know, we have the mother being spied because the daddy left her and gone with somebody else. We have the daddy spied because he le she left him and she gone with somebody. So therefore, he don't want to take it a child. The children are now suffering. You understand me. Then we have the father and gender. And that's another thing, too. I personally feel like when these young kids get hard before the court, I don't care which part their daddy is in, this, in, in Fox Hill Prison. If he's in Markson, Medium, West, East, North, or South, we tell him, um, video call him, video conference him. You in Fox Hill Prison, you see where your son is at 10 years old? Wow. See, these fathers get to just bears down, which we, 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 you know, we, we should be, you be able to have sense to use contraception, but okay, we didn't use contraception. The children are already here, but you get to load us down with each other, and then you get to walk about your business like, like nothing ever happened. No, man, you could be responsible. If you got to be in foster prison, you could be responsible. Now, you see where your child is now? He's before the court now, where you is. Have, let them have a reality check. But no, we, we put them in prison. They never, they, they up there. They ain't have no check-in then, so they can have check-in. No, we have to make these men responsible, even mothers. 
all of us have to be responsible. And I personally feel as mothers, if the guy isn't mistreating our children, why we can't let them have access to the children? A child need both parents. We hold it over the man's. You hold it over the man's head. Vice versa with yeah. the women, you know. Mm -hmm. We need both. Like I, I just said something the day. Well, if you ask me, you need four parents. You need a mummy because uh, of the mummy and the daddy break. I mean, step daddy and step mummy <laughs> if you ask me. Because that's how I Or choose wise godparents. You, you understand know, because, you know, we, and else. that's why it calls. Yeah. It takes a village to raise a child. Mm -hmm. We need that village. Like, you know, like I ain't like Joe. I'm very, I started up in a tent of night drive. And I saw one boy, punch up this boy, punch up this boy. And I put my gun on. I see what happened. You you going crazy this morning? And I said, what do you do? You so no way. I said, excuse me. If you put your hand on him like this in the road, what do you expect for society to do to him? Kill him? I said, no 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 no. You don't you ever do that. If that's you see coming home, you do ever put your hand on your little brother like that. So I said, now this is brother. This is brother. He punched oh up, punching up, because yeah, he let something drop. And I said, excuse me now. You must say sorry to him. He said sorry. I said, you must say sorry to him. And he said, sorry, I just want you to live as one man. You want as one. I know we're running out of time, so I've got to ask you. I know funding is a major issue. Yes. Big issue, Jerome. Jerome Challenges, and how can people help? I know that sometimes you're operating with a bare minimum. Jerome, we need big, we need funding. Any amount can do. Jerome goes, little as much. With God in it, in the Bible, say, knowing a brother, sister need, and you should have your bowels of compassion. How dwells the love of God in you? And we could say, we a Christian nation. Be a Christian nation. Let's help our brothers. You operate out of pocket and what people give you? Yes. Every and what day. all you need? We need, first of all, we need funding. Now, our good, decent prime minister, we thank you. We appreciate you because you have given us two consecutive years of having Johnny 23rd as families of all murder victims. Stay. So we appreciate them for that. But we need funding. We need funding. Um, we need clothing. No one uses clothing. We need groceries because these brothers getting killed. They're leaving not child. They're leaving children. And when you can pack one bag for one child, you now have to pack five and six, you now have to pack for six children. And the time that's two bags, because these children, these brothers, they're having children with different baby mamas. So, funding. Funding. Food. Yes. Clothing. Yes. What about counseling? Yes, we need counseling. We, want, we need counseling on board. Um, if anybody have a van, they want to donate a form, because we want to have mobile counseling, where we take counseling and we need to the families. We want to do something like that. Um, do bear in mind now, we, because of the children, so, so much children that we see in past our office in the morning going to Cleveland Innes, we have adopted Cleveland Innes um, primary school. So we provide free breakfast every last Friday month because Cleveland Innes is not a part of the pilot program. So we provide free breakfast for those children All every right. last Friday. Candy, thank you so much for coming on. People can find you on Facebook. 424-895-3 is my cell. 603-4141 is the office We're number. also going to post the information on the On The Record Facebook page. Or they can find you. I know you're easy to yes, find on yes. Facebook. Candy, and yes. everybody got your number, it seems. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Candy, God bless you. Thank you. For the work that you are doing and the families you are helping and, and the individuals lives you are touching imagine where our country would be without you and without foam so we wish you all the best and whatever we can do we will continue to do to spread the message but again thank you continue to do well appreciate you sir thank all you. right stay with us we are into the thick of things when we come back we're going to look at what the government plans to do to combat crime we'll be back right after this
It's a critical time for leadership, for decisive action, and for clear communication from those at the helm of our country's future. This brings us to the heart of our discussion tonight. What is the government's stance on this surge in crime? And more importantly, what are the concrete steps being taken to address it? To provide answers and shed some light on the government's efforts, we're joined by Latre Ramming. He's the Director of Communications for the Office of the Prime Minister. We'll explore the government's approach to combating crime, addressing its root causes, and of course rebuilding the sense of safety and community that forms the bedrock of our society. Welcome to On the Record, Latre. Good to have you here with us. Thank you for having me. And as you pointed out, it's your first time here, so we're happy to have yeah, you. Yeah, first time in the studio. First time <laughs> in the studio, so we, we're happy to have you. I know you've got a tough job. Anytime you have to communicate yes. on behalf of the government, it's, it's a really tough job. But let's start out by taking, I guess, our um, audience on just where we are in terms of what are the government's plans in combating the surge in crime. We've heard from the Prime Minister in a national address. There has been legislation brought to Parliament. But the crimes continue. I mean, that, that is, uh, there's no running away from that. And the concerns of the people continue. So overarching, let's talk about government's plan to, to combat the surge. Thanks so much. So, so we, we recognize um, the challenge with crime, particularly in our country, is being driven and fueled by a number of things. One, we know that there is a continued um, trafficking of guns from the United States. We do know that we have a, a not a, a broken judicial, judiciary, but a judiciary, judiciary that, that's not moving as efficient as we would like it to. Uh, we also know that there is a lot of proliferation in gang and the proliferation of gang recruitment of uh, persons in the high school area. And we also know that, that there's a huge challenge on the issue of conflict resolution, which is, very, which, which is fundamental to all of these issues, our inability to, to adequately address our, our, our differences. Um, so when you look at that, we, we had the government have, have a five-step approach to dealing with the issue. One, start with the issue of prevention, policing, prosecution, punishment, rehabilitation. It's the view of the Prime Minister that we, we focus a lot on the policing aspect of things and the punishment aspect of things. We very rare we focus on preventing the crime and the issue of rehabilitation, ensuring that an offender doesn't reoffend once they've been convicted for a crime. So we we determined the government determined to fight the issue on, on a number of approaches. One, particularly on the prevent, how do we prevent crime from happening in the first instance? And that's really done with um, more social intervention, more programs for every renewal, making sure that we get to the root of our community, policing, building stronger communities, understanding the intelligence in, our, in, in these areas. The second thing, which is a much more comprehensive and short-term approach, which is uh, the government's policing plan. So the policing plan is built, is designed on two fundamental principles, clear, hold, and build. So the, the clear, hold, and build uh, approach is a tested policing strategy that's been used in a number of countries. Clear essentially means that the, office, the government gives the Royal Bahamas Police Force so the resources they need to clear an area of all gang activities. Mm -hmm. So they go in very aggressively, identify and understand what is the root challenges in those areas. The whole strategy is to ensure that there's sufficient police presence to, to guarantee that the, those, those uh, gang elements do not return in those areas. And the last um, part of the strategy, which is the build component, ensures that we have a renewal going into communities, creating safe environments, repairing homes, giving young people the opportunities for alternative means of an alternative way of life. The policing component uh, is, will also be compounded with the introduction of, of AI technology. So we do have CCTV, but our CCTV is very limited in its scope. 
what we're adding is an expansion to our partnership with SSI, um, the introduction with AI technology. So this would give the Royal Bahamas Police Force an improved, um, an improved length in the cap, the coverage of the, the entire New Providence. So they're going to be able to see more areas. With that AI technology, they'll be able to see a person's license plate, the color you're wearing, who was wearing this color shirt in this area for the last particular time, where that license plate went the day before, the day after, and the pattern of a particular person. So they're going to have a much more stronger approach. Uh, some persons may consider it to be invasive, but it's absolutely necessary for the national security, and you're in a public space. Yeah, uh, and I, I think the, the use of that technology is really what uh, is needed if we're going to be effectively policing. And, and, and aggressive in our approach as well. The, we have saturation patrol, which has been something that, that, that has been introduced by the government last year. Mm -hmm. um, the, the part that, that we know is, to, is we know that the, the police has no have no difficulty in solving crimes. They have a very high solvency rate. Mm -hmm. We know they have a, a high ability to identify the persons committing the crime. The challenge we have is the, uh, the judiciary, the issue of bail. So we, we, we pass uh, amendments to the bail act to each other. If you break your bail, there's no pain, fine, you go, you go straight to prison. Um, um, we are cooperating with the Chief Justice to ensure that the judges understand the, 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 the environment and the circumstances and the concerns of payments. They don't want a system where you have persons who are abusing bail and ending up back in the community. Um, cases aren't moving fast enough. We know that there are defense lawyers who are taking advantage of exploiting to the judiciary. And so Most the definitely. And yes. then so the PM's message last week was, the judges, you have to take control of your courtroom. You can't have defense counsels coming in, intentionally manipulating the court system to ensure that they, their client is delayed that allows them to end up back on the street. And I'll just take a, a pin there for a minute, These are the things that we see every day, you know. I, we know that these things exist and they've been going on. The public has been crying for a long time about addressing the backlog and the, these delays. And you could see even, you know, from where we sit sometimes, these are the things done intentionally to the benefit of the defense lawyers. But anyway, I, I'm happy to hear about those things. And I think uh, for me and many others, that's sort of the end game for crime. What we've been able to unpack and a lot of, uh, you know, a lot, a lot of the things that our guests have talked about mm -hmm. here in the past few weeks as, as we have unpacked as we have explored this entire issue of crime, and not just in the, you know, in the arrest side and even at that level of prevention, but a lot of the criminal activity that we are, are noticing and that people are talking about is relayed directly or uh, is directly connected to the economic situation that a lot of people find themselves in, the level of poverty, the unemployment, the lack of education, things that are, are really fundamental uh, or the fundamental causes because crime has become a way of life mm. for a lot of people. And you talk about gangs, and we've heard people from the community say to us that you're able to lure young men into a life of, of, of violence and crimes with gangs because of the situation they find themselves in. One parent, I'm a home with multiple siblings, you know, you've got to do things to help mommy out, but you know, you don't have the proper education, you can't get a job, all around you is the proliferation of violence, and so, you know, automatically you fall into, in, into these traps. So, while we look at providing the police with more resources and using the technology and even improving the efficiency of our courts to deal with the criminals, is there a focus or is there con some consideration now on addressing the poverty, the unemployment, the lack of education, which really helps to build those criminals 
from children. So we, we, if the, the government's um, approach to crime, which is whole of society, whole of government, really focus on dealing with the root causes of crime, mm -hmm. right? Like you understand, we understand that there are the proliferation of social ills. On the issue of education, <clears throat> the Ministry of uh, Education is diversifying its approach, ensuring that the standard way of, of education may not be applicable to everybody. And to have to give young persons the opportunity to pursue a, a vocational training, we understand that we need to bring on a, more um, youth programs to ensure that our young people have uh, have the ability to properly have alternative in the usage of their time. So we're investing in the national youth, youth guard, the national youth guard, national youth guard that calls for the training of young people, which is which is the pathway to a larger national youth service. And so we were talking about how do we reintegrate urban renewal in the community, dealing with afternoon classes, repairing homes, providing job opportunities through uh, bridging it through the Department of Labor. So what, 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 what has been the, the challenge um, in our country is the inconsistency of public policy. And that inconsistency of public policy stems from the fact that we constantly change government. So, um, and change focus. And change focus. So the, 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 the PLP's approach may be community-driven through urban renewal, the FLM approach may be uh, um, less use tax incentive and over-the-hill over program. And so these are two fundamentally different approaches. So if you're changing government every five years, the, the policy approach will be different. And so the policy won't have time to, to sufficiently materialize in a way that it calls for changes in behavior. So we, we, we identify what the challenges are. We identify the mechanisms to provide prevention and to ensure that we double the funding for social programs, ensure that we put policing police back in the school, ensure that persons have access to training opportunities. We, we do all of these things. But if you really want to see the measurement of those policies, there has to be, there have to be some consistency in the implementation of those public policies. So what about engaging civil society and engaging those organizations that um, will exist and and continue beyond the the electorate, you know, deciding to change governments, or will exist and operate beyond a change in policy. Because when you look at a lot of these NGOs, a lot of these organizations, it really comes down to funding, mm -hmm. because they the work of the Red Cross carries on, the work of of a foam carries on, who's just here, Hands for Hunger, these intervention groups, they carry on. Um, you know, regardless of who is in office, but if they aren't receiving the support, then to me, you're always at ground zero once there's a change. In so, government. I mean, the, what, what I'm happy to, to say and report to your, your, to your guests and, your, and to, your, I mean, to your viewers is that, that the government has, in the last two budget cycles, ha, have provided funding for and increased the funding to civic organizations. So, for the first time, uh, the, the, um, Great Commission is receiving $100,000 annually. Um, the Singing Bishop and his program is receiving $75,000 annually. We've increased the amount of the Bahamas Christian uh, Bahamas Crisis Center. So we've acknowledged that the, the, the need for more funding. And I'm sure they'll tell you that there's a need for great, much greater funding given the, the demand for what, on the organizations. I think the challenge we have, and this is why we, uh, our approach is a collective response. A lot of what exists today operate in silos. So there's no joining up of policies and programs, and there's duplication, there duplications of policies and programs. So what the Prime Minister sought to do is he's created a cross-government crime task force that have the um, Ministry of Education, Minister of Youth, Sports and Culture, 
the Minister of the Royal Bahamas Police Force, Royal Bahamas Defense Force, and the Minister of National Security. Because his concern is that, okay, you have duplications of process, you have different departments doing different things, and no one is speaking to each other and addressing this, a common problem we want to solve. And so, so we're trying to tie, up, tie it up in government. We're pivoting to the community, and you, go, you see the Prime Minister doing a number of community visits to determine... That's why he was in Fox Hill, Fox Hill and, and, this and, week. And then, so that, that is really geared towards our ability to partner with the community and to understand what are the concerns. So we, in speaking to the forum, listen, it's good that you give us a day to recognize and to mourn and to heal and to cry, but we have a much greater demand, which is, which is funding. So these are kind of the kinds of conversation we, most, we will most certainly have Going, in, going into the next fiscal period to ensure that pro programs like FOAM get the kind of resources who have been tested, who have a record of their work, who have been tested and get the kind of support So these organizations can look forward to even more funding? Well, I would say these organizations will look forward to continued support. Now, I mean, now as the Prime Minister will share, as the Minister of Finance, he will certainly... I have to will be, will be <laughs> you. But... But what I will say is that we recognize their work. And, and, and that's my question. Is there a serious recognition that, or is there a recognition that it cannot be just the approach on policing and technology, but we have to look now at um, really, you know, these, looking at the communities and how we begin to fix what is happening within our communities. And, you know, we're at the point of mid-year mid -year budget presentation, which, okay. you know, I want to talk a little bit about um, while you are here. I know we're here to talk about crime, but, you know, you, you represent government. And so, you know, with the mid-year uh, budget presentation now in front of us, there is a lot being said about government resources and where government is putting money and how money is, is being spent. Um, something that surfaced just this morning, okay. um, $100,000 on uh, by-election a travel. Earlier today, a story caught our eye um, that was published in a local daily revealing that the government has spent um, $100,000 on travel to West Grand Bahama and Bimini, apparently for by-election. That's what the story is, in, is, is intonating for campaign purposes. This significant expenditure particularly is uh, challenging um, for a lot of people to really I guess process, given the economic times, some of our people find themselves in naturally, of course, raising eyebrows, prompting some questions from the public and media alike. There was a response, of course, from the office of the Prime Minister this morning. And I, I do want to just hit pause for a moment. Thank you for quickly responding. Right. You know, one thing I can say, uh, you all really respond. Now, how that's digested and taken, you know, people will, will dissect it, but you respond. And, and we appreciate that. So, the statement clarifying the situation, providing detailed justification for expenditure, um, criticizing the local media, the paper, um, accusing them of stirring up what is termed controversy rather than damping down concerns. Uh, the rebuttal, of course, then even fueled more debate as members of the media in a particular uh, group this morning called it, and I quote, disrespectful and emotionally charged. So help us, you know. Um, and what the public doesn't understand is we go at the government, <laughs> we go at BIS, we go at these folks sometimes, in those in those groups, um, when things are put in there that that are challenged, and you know, to my media colleagues, go ahead, challenge. Um, but help us to, to to put into context this hundred thousand dollars, which on the surface looks like was used to uh, pay for campaign related travel for the Western Bimini by election. Well, first of all, you know, <clears throat> the government last year would have passed a public finance management act. Mm -hmm. which requires the government by law in its budget document to disclose reallocation of fundings in a particular line item, right? 
And so in the recent mid-year budget, you would have seen two payments on the 29th of November, and I, I, I believe on the February, December 1st, pertaining to the purpose of travel to the family islands, right? Would we have argued, to, would we have said in response to the particular journalist who asked the media inquiry, that the Prime Minister's capacity as Prime Minister to travel to both Grand Bahama and Bimini on official government business. He went for the opening of a government complex. He went for the expansion of the Grand Bahama shipyard. He went for the um, signing of, an, of a heads of agreement with Ocean Key. He went for a new agreement of roads in Bimini. He went for a new agreement with the airport in, um, in Bimini as well. So there's a number of things that the Prime Minister went to that pertains to official government business. The argument that the press statement, or the question the press statement asks was, should the Prime Minister, who traveled on official government business, and for the purpose of government business, then returned to Nassau that same night and switched a plane, paid for, switched into a plane, paid for by the Progressive Party? And I thought that, that sort of rhetorical question was an offense to some, some persons in the media. But it really just begged the question, the question that the Prime Minister is Prime Minister. There's a, the, he, he carries both hearts as the Prime Minister and leader of the Progressive Party. I want to assure the, the public that at no time did the government of the Bahamas use taxpayer dollars in a by-election to fund the PLP's campaign or any political activities related to the campaign. That, that, that if the Prime Minister travels to the family island on government purposes, and he, he attends a political event, i.e. meeting with campaign persons, by having a luncheon with campaign purpose, that those funds are paid for by the party. In some instances, the prime minister uses his own money you know, to, 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 um, to deal with this matter. So that's a, just a clear separation. But do you see, given the, or do you accept that, given the timing of these events in Grand Bahama and in Bimini and the prime minister's attendance to political events, Given the two that are so, given that the two almost overlapped, do you accept the criticism and how it could appear, even the appearance that he's down there for one thing, but ends up at a campaign event or a campaign rally? You, do you accept though, that even the apparent, what, what that looks like? I, I always just say that in the absence of contacts and facts, everything is questionable. And I think that's why, that's it. It, it is our job to ensure that we give the Bahamian people the facts. In, and the circumstances in these in, the, in these situations. Do you accept, though, that it could have been ill-timed as well? No, I mean, the, the 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 time of the prime minister is the most precious resource for us as an office, right? And so, if the prime minister is traveling somewhere, we will we will make the argument that he will be there. Our, our strongest advice is to make the, the the appropriate usage of his time because he's prime minister, and that's that's a a, a finite resource that we have to manage, right? So. So yes, they will try to maximize him. If, if the prime minister go on any family island, and he, they try to maximize him being there. And sometimes in that maximization and maximizing the time, it may end up going to his second hat, which may be for a political meeting somewhere on that island. So I, I'm, I'm most certain in, in, this, in this circumstance, during this period, there was a duality of circumstances. The prime minister being there and the political organization seeking to maximize his time whilst he's there. And to be fair, to be fair, Latre, this is not the first time this has happened. I, I, I just I, want I, to be very, very clear. I've traveled with prime ministers who have gone on official business and transitioned to party business. I just, I just want to be fair. However, um, even during that period, we saw 
uh, as one member of my team put it, the entire cabinet of the Bahamas, um, supporters, um, you know, party, uh, you know, uh, party revelers, I call them, who, who come up to these events, who paid for the travel of those individuals? Well, the, if, the, if the minister traveled, if the minister traveled to the family island, or cabinet minister traveled to the family island, I know that there was a cabinet meeting, so they would have traveled. Their purpose for that meeting was to attend a cabinet function. If party supporters travel to the apolitical, for political purposes, that is a bill that is fitted by the organization. Right? I also want to um, just um, put as a matter of context that government travel requires the approval of a financial officer in a government ministry. And the purpose and intent of that travel and who's, who, who is traveling along with the minister or government official have to be spelled out. And that, that, that public officer have the responsibility on behalf of the Bayman people, which in most circumstances they, they, they do really well, to say whether this trip and the expense, our taxpayers' expense, is justifiable in the circumstances. And so, so for persons who may doubt that there are mechanisms to, there, 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 there exists a, a system to protect as, as, as best the co-mingling of activities. So at the end of the day, the public officer is held accountable. Yeah. Okay. And if, if, if it is found that travel that's presented is for a political purpose, that can be denied? Um, in which, in which circumstances? You if, if it is found that the public officer is presented, let's say a PS, is presented with a travel yeah. request, mm -hmm. um, he or she is in a position to question that, correct? Yeah, they have, they have, they have and that, that can be denied based upon... If they don't feel like the purpose of the travel is justifiable in the government business, it can be denied. But what about the minister who pick up the phone and say, PS, I need you to approve that? Well, and mo the, the laws are very plain on what should happen in those circumstances and who is responsible. And, I'm, and, I, I, and I hope that, and I think there's an expectation that ministers know their responsibilities and, and where those responsibilities end, along with public officials. All right. So, again, that 100,000 reallocation. Uh -huh. and I think that, How do we justify it? I think that? that we justify it by saying this, that the primacy of the Commonwealth of the Bahamas travel to the family islands to promote the progress of those islands and their, their environments. Talking about an expansion of an airport that's going to really speak to the touristic product of Bimini. Talk about the expansion of Ocean Key. Talk about a new government complex that's going to be happening in Ireland. Talk about roads in Bimini. So you, you, you can look at 100K of the prime minister travel during a period of time and look at and, and master by the, the fact that he went to the opening, the expansion of a Grand Bahama shipyard that's going to be to the tone of half a billion dollars. And all of this is coincidence? That it's happening as you're going to buy election? Is it just coincidence <laughs> no, no, no. that he's going to do these things uh, you know, as listen, we're going to buy election in that area? We, 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 we have, this administration have a responsibility to drive results for the, for the people of the Bahamas, for people in Bimini, for people in Grand Bahama, irregardless of the time of that calendar, during the time of the time in office. And again, to be fair, I just want to be fair. Let us know. This is not <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I just want to be fair. But you here, and I have to yeah. ask you because you know the proverbial ball is is in your court, and and your administration is in. And so it looks the way it looks to people. Yeah. I ask based upon what I what I have to say. Very quickly, I know we're out of time. 
Uh, another issue that, that has come up, and I know that you have spoken to it, is the, the issue of this 30000 reallocation um, for the late Obi Wilscombe's funeral um, and that money being, being reallocated from the National Commission for Persons with Disabilities. You accept how that looks on the surface and why people are angry yeah, and, and I do understand and the, the concern. I just wanted to make, make clear, under no circumstances that funds that were intended to go to disabled persons were taken from them. I also want to make clear that the government of the Bahamas increased the amount of budgeted to the Commission based on the way these models work in the technical world and by technical officers. They identify areas of savings in these ministries. I also think it's important to note that the, um, he was a sitting minister, that the, his payment was, the, was shared between the Ministry of Tourism, Social Services, and Urban Renewal. Bahama came in and they provide the venue for the event free of charge. And so um, I, I do recognize the, 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 the challenge that some persons may, may have. I do want them to know that at no time did the government of Bahamas take funds in, intended to go to disabled persons. For another purpose. The Commission has spoken yesterday, and yesterday, I think it was a story carried mm -hmm. by Travis Carroll saying that their work has not been hindered and they have not been disadvantaged. We carried it on our news and, last night as and, well. We and we want to, to assure the, the chairman, mm -hmm. we, we want to show the people of the warm is that when persons come at this government, the expenditure of the government in this period, one of the expenditure items that have increased by 44% is assistance given to Bahamians who are vulnerable during this cost of, cost of living uh, period. That's right. Thank you very much for coming on. I know we could talk. We have a whole lot more we could talk <laughs> yes. about. Uh, we came on here to talk about crime, um, but certainly I couldn't bring you on and not. You know, they, they'd have my head if I if I didn't um, if I didn't ask those questions. And thank you. I, you know, we started this by saying you know that we are always uh, we are always happy when the office of the prime minister responds mm -hmm. because we have lots of questions that things arise, and I want to thank you and your team for the job that you're doing in responding. Now, however people take those responses, it's really up to them, and sometimes it depends on who's, who's listening in. But thank you for responding, and, and thank you for the work that you continue to do. And thanks for having me. Uh, and listen, it's an open invitation to come back. You say, we ain't ever invite you. So I want to say, Latre, you are invited back. All right? <laughs> thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, folks, um, thank you again um, for, for uh, coming in tonight. We hope that... Um, you know, that this show has been helpful to you. We want to extend a heartfelt thank you to both of our guests for joining us and hearing their insights. The path forward requires a collective effort, a partnership between the government, non-governmental organizations like FOAM, and importantly, each and every one of us as members of the Bahamian community. Please stay safe out there. Look out for one another, and let's all contribute to the positive change that we wish to see in our nation. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you next time right here on The Wrap. Good job. Thank you.